And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over our takeaways from the Sixers' wins over the Knicks and the Nets, and our first impressions of Jalen McDaniels with the Sixers. Enjoy the podcast, and go Birds! All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. I guess as a disclaimer, we are recording this before the Super Bowl, pretty much right before. It'll almost definitely come out after you have all watched the Super Bowl and know the outcome. If I seem a little fidgety and like a nervous wreck, that is probably why. How are you doing, Rich? Yeah, I'm I'm nervous, Derek. I, I will say the fact that we did win one Super Bowl it helps me so much, so much, slightly yes. less nervous. Like, trust me, I'm gonna be a a bad person all week if they don't win this game. That said, I th- there are ways they could have lost when they didn't have the Super Bowl. Where I mean, I, I remember I tweeted this out the year I guess it was the year before the Eagles won the Super Bowl when the Patriots came back from twenty eight to three, and my first thought was. If I was an Atlanta Falcons fan, if that happened to the Eagles, I would be off the grid for five months. I won't be <laughs> yeah. off the grid for five months if they lose in in rough fashion. But yeah, yeah. it's uh definitely definitely nervous. But you know, it's cool just driving around the day. Like you know, every Sunday you just see people in Eagles gear all the time, and that puts me in a better mood than I would say the average person, not the uh, not the idiot professor who tweeted a couple weeks ago. If you saw that, it was like this is kind of sad or whatever asshole trying to get I didn't see engagement that. yeah well it was bad i'll show i'll show it to you afterwards anyway everybody's wearing eagles here today so that's awesome go birds i'm nervous hopefully people will listen to this monday and probably tuesday yep. yeah hopefully yeah okay no i am I'm a, I'm a wreck and i think part of it like covering sports and i do agree i think i think winning it five years ago brings that down notch down a notch a little bit but like I think covering sports and being around sports so much and just knowing how much randomness goes into all of this. And especially like we cover maybe the most predictable one out there. When you start yep. talking about baseball and the randomness, even in a seven game series and football, certainly when you talk about one game, like there's so much confidence. And it's one thing to be confident in your team. I get that. You have a great team. But to be confident of the outcome, like I think I just spent to- too much time realizing how random this all is. And it's one thing when we're talking about like a game against the giants in November, All right, Who gives a shit? You lose that one next Sunday, but when the stakes get raised, man, I turn into a nervous wreck. No, they and, like if, if they win, they get to just brag for a fucking full year, full year, full year. Yeah. Fly that flag forever too. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, look, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's tough. I feel like in basketball terms, the Eagles would win yeah. four out of seven games. Yeah, because they have a better team, but unfortunately, yep. that's not how this works. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, so we will, like I said, if if I'm a little like edgy right now, it's it's that's why. Let's, anyway, let's, 
let's let's bring it down with a little Sixers Nets Sixers Knicks <laughs> yeah. basketball. Uh, yeah. All right. So we will transition to that team who, quite frankly, spent most of this weekend here stumbling and bumbling their way through three quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to to Clyde. Do you have do you have a favorite Clydeism? I think it might just be posting and toasting. Okay, is is just, my favorite uh, in part because of the the SB Nation blog. Sure, that's a good one. I mean, there are a bunch, you know. He spent like, a lot of time on Friday talking about dishing and swishing. Dishing and swishing is a big yeah. one. He says something like, is it like prancing and romancing? They're, they're <laughs> like two, both of them are not basketball terms, and yeah. he still uses it, which are awesome. Anyway, that's, yeah, my, that's been my favorite broadcast for years. It's inc- I, I do wonder at times, like if you were a Knicks fan and you watch it every day, does it ever get old? But certainly yeah. when you watch it a handful of times a year, it does not. Uh, I think my favorite is when he... They get into the bonus and he says the Knicks will pay for their transgressions. It's not even like a rhyme like that. I just, I love, I love, I love Clyde and it helps. Uh, my mom actually went to Southern Illinois university, which is where he went to school and played his basketball. He was Salukis. He, he was before her, but he was like, you know, he was, he was, he was king in that area. Um, even though I think he grew up East coast. I know for sure. I think it was Atlanta. Maybe I feel like, I don't know why, how he ended up in, in Southern Illinois. For college, but he is he is a a god out there. I do think it goes a little bit under the radar because he's now this kind of funny announcer and you know this legendary, just calm, cool, collected guy that he was like an awesome, awesome, awesome. Hall of Fame basketball yeah, absolutely. player. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, this is not a Clyde Frazier broadcast, even though that might be more entertaining to talk about than these two games, which they ended up pulling out a win. Uh, which was, I, I, I guess you could say, in the fourth quarter, they were slicing and dicing. I don't know. Not to steal all of Clyde's bits, although we couldn't steal all of them. He's got a lot. But for a team that, through <laughs> both games, really frustrated the ever-living hell out of me for most of those contests, they ended up going 2-0 against two good teams. Not contenders, but two capable. Above average. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Especially, like, that net squad is a real good defensive team right now. And they ended up pulling it out. And you could say a lot of that comes down to Joel Embiid. It does. He scored like 72 points over these two game stretch. Not very many other players were consistent night in and night out, unless you count Tobias Harris, but that is the other end of the spectrum. What was Max, sort of he like was your pretty good in, in the He was, he was real great good one certainly. Game, and then he was the Knicks, decent yeah. in the other game too. Not a great yeah. shooting game, but he was they were doing some positive stuff. Didn't yeah, have a whole lot big... of opportunity. Like it feels like his usage was down a little bit there against the Nets. Yeah, that's my big takeaway. They they were slightly above average teams, and I will say, second half of a back to back, not not fun. After after that, Nets were on a a better. Uh, they had a rest advantage in that. Now the Nets had a new team, and it, it's like you said, that team is going to be that team's going to be hard to score. You're going to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Now, I think you saw why the Nets aren't going to win like a ton, a ton of games at the end of that game because the Sixers had Joel Embiid and they had Spencer Dinwiddie. And yeah. the Sixers are going to win that fight, you know, 19 out of 20 times. And now you the- were super close to a Bridges layup. Could have been the hero on uh, on his first game with the new club. Real close to, you know, that one going in. Claxton Tippin too. The, you know, he could have had that. Half court shot that like missed it by a tenth of a second. A wild ending. I have, I have a little bit of a hot take on that. I know the Sixers weren't trying for this, so they don't get credit. But if they were, 
Forcing a basically half court forcing. shot. <laughs> huh? Yeah, exactly. Forcing. Yeah. Just that was a huge defensive breakdown by like everyone it, involved too. It was amazing. It's a big defensive breakdown. That said, I don't mind giving like as soon as he no, caught that ball, yeah. I thought like he's not gonna get that off in time. Like unfortunately it takes over a second to shoot those. Yeah. So and they did get a little bit lucky with that, but yeah, they didn't they didn't do it on purpose. Uh yeah, I guess my big takeaway is that it's good for them to get two wins. Like that's th- those teams are both playing pretty well. That said, there is like a they just don't try, Derek. They don't, they don't try hard <laughs> enough. I know. And you know, Embiid after Friday's game against the Knicks, in which he played awesome, and they won by eleven because they had a great fourth quarter. And you know, Maxi was great, and Joe was great the entire game. Joe was great passing. He said because I asked him, I was like, "What do you think about this zone that you play the entire fourth quarter?" and I was happy to hear, because I didn't lead him on, I was happy to hear he feels the same exact way I do about zone, which is like zone is for cowards, and the Sixers, they play this zone for the entire fourth quarter because they can't stop anybody in man-to-man. It's just, it's a fundamental problem where you have Joel saying, yeah, like, we can't stay in front of our man, and that's an issue every night. And it's something that has to change. So yeah, now the, the amount of times where it's just like they have no prayer of stopping a ball screen. Let's see what the zone can do. It's just it's very very discouraging, and it's they rely on it a lot. It's not a particularly great zone defense when you zoom out and look at it through the season. But no. there's so many times where it's like this is our only option. Let's see if it's working tonight. And, and for and by Ace, the way, if it's working, means we're going to give up an open three and hope they miss. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very, it's very frustrating for a team that has championship aspirations that likes to call themselves a good defensive team. Although when they're healthy, fully healthy, I'm not, not buying it. We'll see whether or not Jalen McDaniels can help change that equation a little bit. He did make his Sixers debut here against the Nets. But yeah, that, that game was super frustrating. They're just not locked in and, and they're not talented enough to be not locked in. I, I know that they got away with it the last couple of nights against the next. And by the way, for the listeners, the, the cat is just putting on an unbelievable show tonight. I mean, Derek has been out of the frame at least 30 times so far, just sprinting to save this cat. And honestly, he's working harder than the Sixers did during these games. Like they, they just, they don't care. And it, it's like, it's okay, the save um, kicking them out of the fucking room. Cause they're driving me insane. So while Rich is going on his monologue, which I have no idea what he's talking about, although I heard him talking about the cat there as I put the headphones back on. Uh, yeah, they're driving me fucking insane. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, it, it's just like, I, I think in the playoffs, they're going to have more juice. Like I, we saw it last year when they kind of slept, walked through a bunch of games. Then they play against Toronto in the first round. And it's like, okay, they're trying, you know, Harden is trying. Like there's, there's juice from everybody and they look like a much better team. And I'm sure... You know, we'll see it, you know, maybe when they play Memphis or Boston or Cleveland and all these teams. But I, I will say, like, you know, they, we talked about before the season, P.J. Tucker installing good habits and all that stuff. There's I, no I don't want to hear on his team. <laughs> there's I don't want to hear anything about good habits. No. Now, maybe they can turn it around in the playoffs. I, I think they definitely have the talent to still make a run. All of those things. I don't want to hear that these games are preparing them for anything because they are just doing the least amount possible to win. And that's, uh, look, I, I don't know what that means long-term. It, it makes them a little bit of a frustrating watch right now, though, for sure. Yeah. 
No, there's, I mean, Harden's not trying. Embiid's not getting back in transition. Tobias is falling asleep off the ball. P.J. Tucker is over-rotating. Aguilar can't catch. Like, there's all kinds of problems here. <laughs> Sorry, it, Eagles on the mind. That it's just, it's, it's, it's one thing. It's funny, because I, I do agree with you a little bit. I think this team generally ramps up and becomes a better defensive team in the playoffs. Yeah. I think most of their playoff problems have come down to the offensive side of the court. So yeah. maybe they get a little bit, but this team just hasn't had the success as a full squad on both ends of the court to be like, we can sleepwalk through these games. And I say that, and they're once again on a run where they've won like, what, 10 out of 13, something of that sort. They just came off of a seven game winning streak. So I think it's now 11 out of 14 that they have won. They've won like 23 out of like 28 or whatever. They're 36 and 19. Like they're, they're very a very well- good team. But they very well can get to the 40-20 thing where yeah. if you win, the championship teams win 40 before they lose 20. That absolutely could happen. But boy, do they have a way of not inspiring a ton of confidence for a very, very good team. You know, I think it was Trill who, you know, had a, a, a chart beginning. Oh boy, am I excited? Middle of the game, I'm going to kill myself. And at the end, it's like, <laughs> nice, we won. And that is very much how this team is night in and night out. Yes. That it's just... It's anyway. Well, look, and, and the only reason they beat the Nets last night, I, I think at least against the Knicks, that was, yeah, their zone got a little bit lucky, but that was, okay, they got some stops. Harden got out in transition. Maxie started making some threes. He was on fire all night. Yep. George started making some threes. You know, those Harden started, you know, Harden is really good, by the way. This is just a random thing. When it's like a, you know, it's like a three on two or something like that. Harden is so good or a three on three. He's so good at kind of either sucking in the defense in transition, or mm -hmm. if there's one guy in front of him, that guy's going to get bulldozer dro driven to the basket and he's going to get fouled. He's, I don't know, it, it's fun to watch the way his mind works on those plays. He's really smart. In, I thought uh, he did a, in, a pretty good job getting into the lane against a lot of really long, rangy defenders against Brooklyn, too. Yes. Yes, he did. I thought his burst was good. And you know what? It's funny on that last play, his burst was unbelievable. And I think. You know, when you and I watch him on press row and we see him miss layups, we're just like, yeah, he's he's not really getting the same type of burst he used to. No, he just he blew by Claxton yeah. last night. Like he just smoked that layup. I don't know what was going on with that. He was completely by him. That was an easy shot and he just missed it. Uh, that said, shout out to Doc Rivers. That was a good play at, at the end of that game because it got I don't know why Dinwiddie was on the floor. I actually think. You might have put Simo the Savage out there to to kind of defend there. Like, I don't. If if you're gonna go all switchable and you're gonna switch absolutely everything, Dinwiddie was the one weak spot, and yeah. Doc found him. And you know, I think that's part of the reason that Claxton hesitates and James goes by him. But it's certainly why Joel gets the easiest offensive rebound of his life and then yeah. gets fouled. He's got Dinwiddie on him. He uh, so that was a good play by Doc. Uh, also, another random part of this. Isn't it jarring to you just what a footnote Ben is in these games? Yeah. Yeah. And he, he barely noticed him. He guarded Joel for- He had another moment where like someone passed to him when he was cutting onto the rim. He was right there. I think Tyrese was rotating over and he kicks it out. And I think they made a three on that possession, but like he's just, he has no interest in looking at the rim. And it, it's, I know people will say like, oh, he's always been like that. No, he, he, he had to occasionally attack the basket score 17 tonight. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. 
it's just jarring. Like he he guarded Joel on their backup units, and nobody cares. And at the end mm-hmm. of the night, you look, you say, okay, four and three. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. It it has in in the trade deadline coverage. I I did hear Zach Lowe and it might have been Wendy and some other people. They one of the worst contracts in the league. Yeah, which is true. It's yeah. true. It's, it's a hard it thing to move. And and there are some people. There are some people who push back on because I think the Nets did pretty well at the trade deadline. We Agreed. talked about that yep. when they got all of those things. There are some people who I've talked to who have like pushed back and said, you know what? Maybe they should have just traded Kyrie to the Lakers and said, okay, here's what the deal is. Those two first round picks, we want those. You send us back, Russ. We'll send you Kyrie, but we're also giving you Ben. And the Lakers probably would have done that, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's an interesting, I don't know, pushback. But by the way, I still think Brooklyn is, at, at least for their current team, they, they have a better team. Are those Lakers picks better in the long run for them than Dinwiddie and the Mavericks pick and, and Finney Smith? I don't know. But yeah, one of the worst contracts in the league, and he's just a footnote in uh, in these games. Meanwhile, you have Joel Embiid, who's just, I don't know, like, I think it gets underrated. Like, when we make the MVP case for him at the end of the year, that's a complete carry job by him at the end of that game. It's just yeah. none of the other Sixers were playing that well. Not only that, you have, like, Tobias and Maxi. Now, Maxi played okay, but Tobias can't make a shot. They're bricking wide open shots that he's creating. Like, he's making the right play out of yep. these double teams, which is awesome to see. Like, he's he ends still up scoring. with two assists on the night, and it's completely misrepresentative of how he, he passed, for sure. And he had six against the Knicks, and I thought his passing down the stretch was awesome in that game. The difference was they actually made the shots at the end. But, yeah. so, I don't you know. You knew it was going to be a tough weekend. That, that, that layup might have been a runner, like a six-foot runner that Tobias missed by two feet at the very start of the Knicks game. I was like, ah, that's not a good indication. I yes. don't know. That was one where you're, you're sitting behind the basket, and you're like, ooh, that's, that's left. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Not left by a little there? bit either, yeah. It's like you're watching a high school game. You're like, oh, oh man. Yeah, that doesn't usually <laughs> Has happen. Has that guy ever it's, taken a runner before in his life? Yeah, one of those. these yeah. guys. Yeah. So, yeah, Tobias has been, I mean, it's been, it's been rough. I, I will say, at least in the last two games, he's still taking the threes, though. Yeah. Like, I, I, as much as he's struggling and, like, look, he got benched for George at the end of that game. At least he's taking those shots at the end of the game. Like, the, the worst game he played all week was the Boston game because he was pump faking against ghosts. And that's, you, you just can't have that. I, I can accept him missing shots and, and struggling. It's not great. Don't get me wrong. But uh, it's better than that. So, yeah, complete carry job by Embiid. And also, too, second night of a back-to-back, play a tough game the night before where you actually you actually have to work for it, in part because you didn't try in the first half. Uh, he wasn't perfect, as you mentioned. Like, that, that play where he gets blocked by Claxton and then Claxton runs right by him for a dunk. Like, that's that's bad. And that's... An encapsulation of this team not really trying as hard as they should for most of it. It's not just him. Harden is very much at blame too, but yeah, his transition defense is rough. That said, if you have a normal center, like an average starting center, you lose by 25 points to that team. Yeah. Yep. Tobias over his last 23 games, 13.7 points, 3.8 three-point attempts in 33 minutes, shooting 28% from three. Over 23 games. Those are all down in a big way. Like you mentioned, he is pump faking air defenders way more than he was, which 
Again, you always sort of said, like, it's great that Tobias is decisive, but is he going to be decisive when he hits a slump? This is a long slump, and he has really, really been struggling. Ever since he really bragged in that post-game, which, which game was that? Where he uh, tell a friend to tell a friend? Which one was that? I forget was which the game Raptors that was. game? Could have been. Could have been. Because that, that lines up with right when this slump started. Raptors He's, game, uh, like, late, late December? Yeah. No, they, they need him. They need him. They need him back. He's been really, really struggling. And I mean, perhaps I, none, none more so than these last two games. Although the, the Boston one, too. I do think it's an okay sign, though, with how bad he's been. They're still winning games. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, got to get him back on track. He has been bad. I think it was good to see Maxi play well, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he talked about after the Knicks game that he was struggling mentally. You know, and it's clear that the bench role, and, and even for that kid who we always associate with, like, he goes home and he probably watches Nickelodeon or something like that or cartoons or something like that. No, he has like feelings and fears and all that stuff. And he was very honest about that. And I thought he played really well over the weekend. So that's good to see from him. Yeah. Like you said, it's good that they continue to win these games, even though they don't try on defense. Tobias is in a month and a half long slump and Maxi is down for one of the few times in his career. And yet they still, uh, they still win games. All right. We did get a, a, a couple of minutes here from Jalen McDaniels. He ended up with almost 16 minutes on the night, five points, four rebounds, and assist. Didn't make one three-pointer. Overall impressions of the new Sixers in what is an undeniably representative sample size of one game. Yeah, it wasn't a lot. That said, I think the, the word that came to mind for me was normal. He looked relatively normal, yeah. That's good. Yeah. No, I, I I think I was pretty impressed with not only, obviously he has on-ball defensive talents and a guy who can credibly at least hold his own one through four, uh, but I thought he was pretty good off-ball too in his rotations and you know, keeping his head on a swivel and really picking up what he needed to, which isn't always a strength on this team, so that is great to see. My only real hope, and again, I'm pretty confident in that defense. I just, I really hope he gives the team enough defensively that, or enough offensively that Doc keeps him on the court because they desperately need a little bit of size, a little bit of mobility, somebody who can rotate and close out on a a shooter, somebody who can switch those positions, uh, and he has to be on the court to do so. So I really, really hope that Doc uh, trusts him enough offensively to keep him throughout the uh, rest of the rotation, the rest of the season. Yeah, and he had a couple. He missed one alley-oop, and he made another one where yep. they ran kind of a step-up screen on the sideline, and he slipped. Look, I thought that was a good sign. He looks like a, a very good athlete in uh, in that regard, somebody who who might be able to form a connection with Harden uh, if you know teams continue to trap Harden and, and play like that. There, there was one play at the end of the first quarter where I believe it was Cam Thomas, who, by the way, you, you could yeah, he didn't talk score. about a heater. What what do you have? Like 16 points last night? Yeah. I know it wasn't 40 because they have the other guys. You could see why he's scoring 40 a game. Like he is shooting contested jumpers over Joel Embiid. There was one possession where Harden actually stood him up. He ran right into Harden's chest and he had to take like a 21 foot fadeaway that was not even close to on balance. Pure. Barely even touched the net. It was like, and I felt that was the one possession all game where I was like, I feel bad for Harden. He actually tried on that one and it, uh, it's probably not a good sign if he realizes, oh my God, I tried hard and look what happened. You know, he's still scoring anyway. 
no, there was one possession at the end of the first quarter where it was Simmons screening for Cam Thomas, and it was Jaden McDaniels and the new backup center right now, Paul Reed, who got the backup center yeah. minutes in both games over the weekend where Doc was very frank about that and said, Trez yeah, has been Trez bad. hasn't been good enough. Yep. Trez has been bad, and it's time to... Now, I would argue Trez has been bad for a while before the uh, sure. the last week, but yes, he has been really bad, and it it really did seem like it took Trez bad plus two losses. Like, Trez bad, and they still win a lot. No, 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 we're not changing up. Can't, can't change it up. But Trez bad, oh, shit, we lost to the Knicks and the Skeleton Celtics. Oh, okay, I guess we got to change it up. Uh, there was a possession where McDaniels and Reed switched, and, and Reed basically forced... Thomas into an air ball, and I was like, man, that that felt normal. That was like something the Sixers can't do, you know? Just yeah. like a nice, normally executed yep. switch where both guys, it's like, oh, they can hold their own. Um, and unfortunately, it was probably the Sixers' best defensive play of the game. I know they got stops at the end, but, you know, there's a lot of decent looks, missed open threes. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it earlier, by the way, P.J. Tucker's help defense. Oh, my God. What is he doing? Like, yeah. There was one play I, I highlighted in my piece in the third quarter where Embiid has Dinwiddie on a switch. The Sixers started switching one to five, and that was another element of the game that probably was a little underrated. I thought Joel's defense in the second half was really good because they started switching one to five, and they kept attacking him with Dinwiddie and these other guys, and he, they just can't score on him. Like that's from from a net standpoint, I know it's their first game; they don't have like a lot of plays in. That's bad offense. Just attacking Embiid one on one with kind of below average like, or not below average, but not star level talent. Right. You're not going to score on him. It's it's the same story that Orlando magic could have told you that yep. from a couple of weeks ago. You don't score on him. Uh, there was one play where that situation happened and PJ Tucker was like, all right, we got to load up. We got to help off him or whatever, leaving cam Johnson wide open in the corner. And I'm just thinking like, dude, what is in your mind right now? Like you don't need to help this much. And he, you see it all the time on these baseline drives. He's like, completely out of the play. And the other issue with him is that he's not long enough to like, at least when Matisse Thibel does that, he gets his hand on it sometimes. Yeah, PJ Tucker is like in no man's land and the ball's just going over his head. So that's been frustrating. His, his one-on-one defense is, is still very good, but uh-uh. Which is funny because you usually think the, uh, the team stuff will stick longer than the one-on-one defense. But it seems like he has taken a step back in... Uh, and maybe it was just in, in prior years he could help more and recover, whereas now he's a step slow on his recovery. Maybe that's, but he definitely makes more mistakes than I remember him making, for sure. He's like the anti-Danny Green. Yeah. Who, uh, who, who will be bought out, but does not sound like the Sixers are in the... I don't, don't even know if they're interested in him, but certainly not in the lead for his services, which we will see who else shakes out. I'm surprised the Suns were not in the lead for his services. Yeah. He could start a good for fit there. They don't have yeah, any. I mean, look, they lost, a, they lost a bunch of wings in that trade. Obviously, you get a, a pretty good one in, in Kevin Durant, who will eat some minutes. But uh, they, lost, they lost a couple of, of key contributors in that wing rotation, for sure. As we saw in the game last night. Yeah. No, but I thought McDaniel's first... Uh, yeah, it was a good first impression. I thought it was interesting that Maury was really banging the drum that we're going to be able to play this guy in the playoffs. Yeah, he he took some not-so-subtle shots at Matisse, for sure. Or, or I, not really a shot, because it wasn't personal, but frank and honest evaluation of Matisse's playoff viability. 
your peebops. You know, which <laughs> peebops. <laughs> which uh I appreciate it. I you know, I I get that uh it's tough. It's like the same thing with Ben where you're kind of dancing on eggshells because this guy has this one major weakness. And as you said, Peebops was just like, look, we think it's pretty straightforward. You can keep him on the floor longer on offense because yeah. he's harming your other players. And and that's the reason. I did uh, – now that Matisse isn't a, a sixer anymore, I can just talk about him as a guy. I love that he, he painted the thing yep. on uh, on the garage mural. That was great. It was, a, it was it was a really good. I I I I agree with you in terms of sending like a a goodbye message. Uh, going out there and spray painting on his mural was chef's kiss. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Thing, uh, anything else really stand out here? I guess we didn't talk about Maury's press conference there from, what was that, Friday. All that much. Uh, but I thought what you hit on was probably the biggest takeaway in terms of, you know, why basically Jalen over Matisse. He said he's, he, Maury said he believes he, that Jalen's got starter potential. We'll see yeah. about that. We'll see. Sort of like what you have to say about a, a relatively young guy that you just acquired. Oh, he's not. I don't, I don't think McDaniel's is quite as young as I think a lot of people expect. He is. Tw- he's basically Matisse's age. He's twenty-five. Uh, he is a little older than most four-year players, at least in this day and age. Expressed confidence in his shooting. 
you know, basically saying we don't look at three-point percentage as much as we look at, at the difficulty of the shots compared to league average and whether or not he thinks that can increase in the new role, which we'll see. Again, it's, he sort of has to say that, but we will see. He certainly, I think, played within his role on uh, on Saturday. Anything else really stand out there? Yeah, I mean, he, he said that the the backup center is something that they're, they're expected to be a- active on the back uh, the buyout market. Yep, and that the backup center is something they have to do a better job with. Although he did not really seem to like love answering that question, which too bad. I think he's your, yeah yeah. It's your weak, it's your weakness, and you didn't address it. So sorry, had to, had to get brought up. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, are those two things in common? I don't know. Uh, you certainly haven't gotten Danny Green, although I, I didn't really think that that was likely at the beginning. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're back to B-Ball Paul, and that's it. I, I think it was a good, at least it was a good first impression for McDaniels in terms of playing a a kind of more defined role on yeah. a team that actually matters. It's it's really funny, and listening to podcasts too, when people bring it up, like they have the, everybody has the same take about Charlotte, where it's just like, well, we'll see. Now that he's playing for an actual basketball team, we'll see yeah. what uh, what he can do instead of what whatever the hell they're doing there. So yeah, it's a good start, I thought. So I, I was I was impressed in his minutes, but like he said, it's just a fifteen minute cameo where he shot like four times against against the Nets. Need to see a little more. Yep, I agree. I agree. Uh, Daryl also pretty frank on the luxury tax. Start. He, he was basically asked whether or not the luxury tax influence. Started off by saying the focus was just to make the team better. And then very quickly, without even another question, pivoted to, I think, as part of my job, I have to look at the bigger picture, and we have a lot of guys we're going to resign, and the moves we did both improve the team now and make it easier to keep this team together going forward. Again, being under the tax this year, getting that reimbursement, and not having a repeater tax next year, does not actually inhibit them from making any moves. It's just what Josh Harris is willing to pay. So he's pretty much acknowledging there that in order to keep this team together, you got to keep that luxury tax bill relatively in check. You cannot be the Golden State Warriors here night in, night out. It seems like that is a mandate. Even if you won't say it directly, that was sort of acknowledging that, which you sort of get. I just don't care about. We'll see how that goes going forward. This team is going to get expensive, and you have a lot of guys he, here that you. He definitely you need alluded to, to that too. Like yeah. he alluded to, the, we're going to be expensive next year. Yeah. So yeah. We'll and, see uh, if that's the case, but. It makes sense. Like this was a year that you used your, you know, your your mid level, which hard capped you. you know, whether or not they really got value out of that, and you know, we've been talking about that for most of the year. But you used your mid level this year, got to the hard cap. Now you've got a lot of guys to uh, re-sign. You're probably going to focus on that. Whether that's Shake, whether that's George, whether that's Jalen, whole bunch of these guys. So you're probably not going to use your full mid level next year because you're being under that apron threshold is going to be real tough. But this will be an expensive team for sure. Assuming they're able to keep all these players around. Mm-hmm. All right. Not sure I have, you know, I don't want to overreact to 15 minutes of a first impression. I, I, I don't really want to talk about those two games too much in part because they were, like I said, mostly infuriating with some good play at the end, but also in part because we want to get the F out of here so we can get our, get our wings, get our drinks, uh, maybe get something to calm the nerves a little bit and uh, go birds. Yep. We, uh, we talked about not the most important sporting event. No, not even week. close. Not even close. And it, Sixers have one more week and then they're up. You know, yeah. They, they have one no, more really week are. where 
they will play uh they'll play a couple more games. They'll play against Cleveland before the All-Star break and maybe that'll be on parade day or pre-parade day, I don't even know. Whatever. Primetime what ESPN game now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the, the Cavs are healthy and they're playing good. That's actually a pretty important game. But uh, you know, the Eagles will probably have a couple more days and then after the All-Star break it's the Sixers. So, yeah. you know, the the good, the bad and the ugly has been kind of swept under the rug so far this year. They, they people have not been living with the highs and lows of this team, which has a really good record, 36 and 19. I can't really like, or yeah, 36 and 19, right? Yep. No, you got it. You got it. But yeah, no, they, after, they, after this next I, week, no matter what happens here later on this afternoon, they will have, the Eagles will have a couple more, a week, maybe two where they're the entire conversation. And then after that, the Sixers have to be on top of their shit because people will actually start watching. Especially, I think, with the the fact that the record is relatively good, I think a lot of people will look to tune in to see whether or not they should change their evaluation and buy in for the playoff run. So this will almost be like a first impression opportunity for the Sixers here for a lot of fans who have been checked out for a while. Uh, it would be nice if they started giving a little more of a shit on defense. but Just, just care we'll a little bit in the first three quarters. A little bit. A little more. You're right. still probably going to win games, but like a little more, you'll actually win more games than that, probably. Yeah. Okay. That's it. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and go Birds. Go Birds. Birds. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.